Welcome to this week's podcast from Suncoast Church. We hope that this message inspires you and helps you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more details, check out suncoast.org.au. We hope you enjoy this message. Decisions of the Daring, we're kicking off a brand new series tonight. Now, this week, uh, you might have seen... Uh, somewhere in the middle of all the other world events and world news was happening, that there was a pastor in Nigeria, and we're going to have throw his photo up on the screen right now, who a few weeks ago he was abducted by a terrorist organization. And he was abducted because of his faith in Jesus, pastor of a church, he had a wife, had nine children. And they streamed live this video, and obviously we're not showing the video, but this is just before his execution, and these are his last words. And the reason they executed him was because he refused to deny his faith in Jesus. And when they gave him his last words to say, uh, and this was obviously, yeah, as I said, this was streamed online, this is what he said. His name was Lawan Adimi, and his last words were, don't cry, don't worry, but thank God for everything. And facing imminent death and worse, these were his words. And after this was streamed online and his death became known, the authorities obviously contacted his wife. And um, when she was asked about her response to this and how she felt about it, and her reply was, I was strengthened by my husband's message in the video. How's that? She said, he spoke like a man of faith, a man who was already prepared to meet with the Lord. And I look at a story like his, and obviously like there's been multiple stories like his that happen all over the world these days of people who against all odds and facing some of the most worst situations find incredible courage and find themselves in them the ability to be super daring. And what can often be a tragedy is we would view people who do extraordinary things and achieve extraordinary achievements and indeed do great things with their life and assume they have people who are most gifted or the people who have all the opportunity or they've been given the platforms in life or they've got the right gifts. The truth is most great change happens out of an ordinary person who decided to do something daring, who when faced with a situation and a choice to make, they didn't take the timid decision. They didn't take the cautious decision. They decided to do something bold and creative. And he wouldn't have been one to say, I'm the boldest or most daring person in the world. Yet when faced with the opportunity, he chose the daring way. And my prayer and hope obviously isn't that you and I would face situations like this where our life hangs in the balance, but your life, your life and every single day to varying degrees will require of you a daring decision somewhere or another. And there can always be the temptation to take the easy way out or to sometimes be frozen with fear and insecurity and unsure about what the future holds. And so we can be stuck with inaction. And what we want to do over these next few weeks and in this series is look at how ultimately the Christian faith causes us to recognize inside of us, might not be the most talented person, might not be the most gifted person in the world, and you might not have all the opportunities everyone else does, but man, you will find yourself in a situation where you have what it takes to make a daring decision, to be bold and courageous. Um, and I, I, funny enough, I shared this next quote last week uh, when we finished off our last series. And to me, it just it's, it spoke so much about what we want to address over the next few weeks. And this was the US president 110 years ago, Theodore Roosevelt, while speaking in the city of Paris. Here's what he said about this. He said, it is not the critic who counts. It's not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena, 
whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. And I'm convinced, and hope over the next few weeks, you're going to be convinced too, that somewhere along the line, having faith in Jesus will cause you and I to recognize that you have it, what it takes. And as a song said, that you're going to be able to dare to make some decision that otherwise maybe fear has frozen you in. Now, here's the thing. When I was younger, and hopefully you can relate to this, doing daring things was a whole lot easier to when you get older. Am I right? Okay, we had this more inclination when we were younger to do bold things, to be risky, to take chances. And you get that, right? You're younger, you often don't know better. When you get older, all of a sudden, you become a little bit more cautious. Now, there's nothing wrong with being cautious. That's really important. You're usually cautious because you've lived a little, you've made a few mistakes, You've learnt life and life has come at you hard. And so you're not quite as risky. So nothing wrong with being cautious. The problem is, is when we replace our confidence with cautiousness. And this can often be the story with our lives where once upon a time, maybe you were bold and you were adventurous and you took great risks. I mean, if you, if you think about it, one of the most popular games when you're in school, at least it was in my day, you guys have probably got other games like that Pokemon one now, right? But there was this really cool game known as Truth or... Okay, wow, yeah. What did you pick? The truth or dare? Ah, see, we have a dare man. So I don't know what one it was, but here's the thing. When you were younger, you had this like leaning, we love to do risky things, but then, but then enough life happens and enough events take place and we grow suspicious. We learn to lose our trust in people. We lose our trust in institutions. You might lose your trust in government, in bosses, Some of you may have even lost trust in yourself. Maybe you found yourself making promises to people that you care about or even promises to yourself and you find time and time again, you just can't even keep your own promises and your own standards. And so you've even, you're suspicious of yourself now. You're skeptical about your own life decisions. And so where, when we were younger, we had this great boldness and seemed like we would do, I don't know if you've ever been to the snow before and trying to go skiing or snowboarding. It is the most annoying thing when you're busy trying to learn and you've got these groms who are not even as high as your knees. Just, Anyone know what I'm talking about, right? It's so annoying, but they don't know any better. They're like, they've got the smallest center of gravity and they're so tiny and it's snow. And if you fall over, it's literally an inch to fall. So it just doesn't hurt, right? But that's what it's like. And then we get older and it's like, we replace our confidence with cautiousness, with carefulness and then we become a little bit a bit of it a little bit ultra conservative what's amazing is we look at stories like the man we just saw on screen and we celebrate stories of people who've done something daring and courageous and bold and we celebrate their stories why because it's not the norm If everyone was doing the daring things, it wouldn't be worth celebrating. But what makes it extraordinary is not that you see talented people or gifted people do it, they're talented out. What we find extraordinary is people who go out of their comfort zone and people who do things that's beyond expectation, the daring decisions. And in fact, if you look, we look through all the scripture and often there are story after story. And this is often the stories we celebrate of men and women who throughout history, because of their trust in God, managed to do things that were well out of their security and well out of their comfort zone and well out of what they were used to or experienced to. And their trust in God caused them to do something that was daring. And after the resurrection of Jesus, the New Testament church, even those you know 2,000 years ago, would look back at particularly Old Testament characters and draw incredible inspiration from their example and incredible 
incredible encouragement from their boldness. And in fact, there's one chapter in one of the letters in the New Testament written to the Hebrew people. And it's well known through history. It's the great faith chapter. And it lists all these amazing names of men and women in the Old Testament who do something extraordinary because of their trust in God. I want to give you just a few verses to give you an idea of these amazing story of bold and courageous people. This is in Hebrews chapter 11. It says, and this is what's written. It says, what more shall I say? I didn't have time to tell about Gideon or Barak. These are Old Testament characters. Samson and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice and gained what was promised. Who shut the mouth of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Next slide. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. We just heard a story about that very thing that's happening even in this time. Some faced jeers and floggings and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. And so even back 2,000 years ago, the first follower of Jesus looked back at the Old Testament heroes, not because they were the most gifted and talented, but because they were bold, because of something about their trust in God that caused them to find their courage and to make daring decisions. And you might not find yourself there being attacked by lions and being sawn in two, and you might not relate to that list, but you have your life and you have your decisions. And often life will throw at you and I opportunities where There could be the temptation to take the fearful way out, to take the easy way out and to ignore or run from the daring decisions that we can make. Now, looking at all these stories, we talk about their boldness and their daringness. Well, the New Testament writers had a word for that boldness and that daringness. And it's found right at the beginning of chapter 11 in the very first verse. It says, now faith, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is, this is what the ancients were commended for. And so right at the beginning, there was this understanding that faith in God directly results with confidence in our lives. And the more you learn to trust Jesus and put your hope in Jesus, the more it will result inside of you having the ability to make the daring decisions in life. And maybe you're someone who's new to church tonight. Maybe you're someone that's not even convinced of the God thing. And maybe the reason you've avoided church or avoid exploring the whole faith idea is that you've thought it being the opposite. The faith thing was the, the kind of the easy way out or the numbing of the senses. Well, right since the resurrection of Jesus, there has been this conviction and this belief that faith is confidence and that putting your trust in Jesus actually leads you to living a bold and courageous life. And make no mistake about it, for 2,000 years, following Jesus has always been daring. And I don't know where this domesticated, safe version of Christianity has sprung up from, but the idea that to follow Jesus was resulting in a comfortable, safe, easy life certainly didn't begin with the invitation from Jesus. And so maybe you're someone that has been confused with your Christian experience, thinking that to follow Jesus means that everything will come together for me and I'll find myself in green open pastures. And Make no mistake about it, following Jesus is the most fruitful, rewarding, life-giving thing you can do, but it's not safe. 
It is daring. It is risky, right? It is going to lead you to a place where you will have to make daring decisions. But remember this, right? What did, what did the ancients say? What did those who wrote the New Testament say? They said, faith is what? I'm not convinced. Faith is confidence. Faith is confidence. Think of it this way, okay? When we read in the Gospels, when Jesus first, this is amazing. When Jesus first went and offered those who became his first disciples to follow him, he just put the invitation out, follow me. There was no insurance plan. There was no uh, you know, guarantee of success. They had no super. They literally left everything. They left what was comfortable. If you're in your career and you were settled in the ancient Near East 2,000 years ago, that was your safe space. That was your meal ticket. Okay. Food wasn't just in the fridge, right? You needed to have, you had your family and your community. So to leave all that behind and follow Jesus was risky. It was tearing. And if that wasn't enough, Jesus went on, and you can read all this in your own time in the Gospels. Jesus, Jesus then gave his disciples even more invitation. He turned to them one time and said, if you want to be my disciples, if you want to be my followers, and they're like, what do you mean if we want to be? We've already left everything to follow you. Because you know, if you want to follow me, if you want to be my disciples, you must deny yourself, take up your cross. They go, what? Hang on, you mean the cross is like the Roman Empire crucifying guys and criminals on all the time? Yeah, yeah. Take up your cross and then you can follow me. Faith or following Jesus has always been daring. And this idea that faith has somehow become domesticated and this, it keeps you in this safe space, it didn't originate with Jesus. But it's quite the opposite. Faith is confidence. And I think this is good news because I tell you, if your life is anything like my life most of the time, I get scared. I get worried. I get anxious. And obviously sometimes it's, it's different degrees, but it's there. And I am so grateful at times that when I'm reminded of who is for me, and I'm reminded of who I put my trust in, that there is a confidence that you and I can discover that's unlike anything else in life. Let me explain to you how I see this working. I remember learning this at a young age. I mustn't have been older than six or seven. And I was in school and I, was on a, I lived in southern New South Wales. And we were on, uh, we'd have to catch a bus to get home. It's about four or five different schools would all kind of share the same bus. And in our bus and in our street, there was a bully. This was in primary school and there was a bully. And for, you know, for privacy reasons, let's just call him Daryl. That wasn't his name, but Daryl is his name. Daryl beat kids up. Go figure, okay? I was terrified of Daryl. He was the street bully. But there is another character in this story. And his name, and this is his real name, was David. David was my big brother. David was slightly older and slightly stronger than Daryl. So eventually my big brother David had enough of Daryl's bullying and he decided to take matters into his own hands. And I'll never forget this. Now, I just want to put out a disclaimer, okay, particularly if the parents are here and I know the young kids are in the kids program, but just to put the disclaimer out, I am not endorsing violence with what I'm about to say next, okay? I'm, I'm a loving pastor and a follower of Jesus and all those good things, okay? I just want to say, just in case someone goes away and says, wow, Jono said we can do what I'm about to say. No, no, no. I'm just recounting what happened when I was six or seven, okay? Just disclaimer, we all agree. Thank you. No abusive emails. Anyways, if you can, if you want, send them to jono'sdad at gmail.com. No, no, Chloe said, I'll take them. Okay, good. Then you can send them. Actually, don't send them to Chloe. Trust me. Just send them to me. Send them to me. Okay. Um, so I don't even know what I meant by that call, but there you go. I'm just protecting you. Why am I protecting them? I don't know. But anyways, so, so my brother David decides decide to take matters into his own hands and he decks Daryl, smashes him. And every kid in the street was like, yeah, Daryl got beat up, right? It was amazing. Okay, his bullying days were finally over. This was so cool. Fast forward a few months, Daryl was on the bus. 
My big brother David was not. I was alone. And Daryl decided again to start bullying, start bullying me. And, uh, but something, something was different about this occasion. I had found confidence because I knew who my big brother was. I knew he had my back. And even though he wasn't there with me that day, I knew he'd be there tomorrow. And so as Daryl was bullying me, I had this out of nowhere, this kind of passionate, bold daringness rose up on the inside of six or seven-year-old Jono. And I warned him. I said, if you keep bullying me, you're going to get it. And that's how my dad always taught me to do, deal with bullies. He said, if they bully you, warn them. And if they keep bullying you, you've got to follow through with your warning. And again, I'm not endorsing that advice, but I'm just saying that's how things were back then. Anyway, so he kept bullying me. So that's it. I take off my backpack and as I swung it around like David and his slingshot, um, inside of my backpack, and parents, you might recall this, in the early 90s, most lunchboxes were made out of old school Tupperware. Those things did not break, but they did break skulls. And as I swung my bag around, the corner, and I didn't mean to do that, the corner of my lunchbox directly hit Daryl's uh, skull, and he never bullied me ever again. It was an amazing, amazing day. Now, where did, where did that confidence come from, right? Because I knew I was not a good fighter. I was, I'm still not prone to violence. I was not anything like that. Daryl was bigger than me and scarier than me. But I found incredible confidence because of who I knew had my back. And this is the idea that faith is confidence. When you know who you put your trust in, it leads you to having this unexplainable confidence and boldness and daringness. And here's the thing. Some of you need to be reminded of who has your back. And some of you have let, has left life bully you around far too much. When your heavenly father is saying, do you understand that I love you more than just the songs you were singing? I'm for you. I'm on your side. Faith is, say it with me. Faith is confidence. Faith is confidence. Now, just to finish off the story, because it's important to close all the doors. You're like, hang on, what just happened in that story? That afternoon, Daryl came to, his house, to my house with his dad, and I was there with my dad. And his dad says to my dad, your son hit my son over the head with that early 90s Tupperware container and really hurt him. And he goes, yes, he did. But your son was bullying my son, to which he turned to his son and said, is that true? And he goes, yes, dad. He goes, well, you're in the wrong. My bad. Have a nice day. That's how things were sorted in the 90s. Anyway, again, again, yeah, everyone clapped in the morning service, but you guys are all too woke. So you're like, oh, I don't support that. Like, The bully has issues. Love them. I did. It's been a long day. <laughs> okay. Where was I? Yeah. Have you lost your confidence? Has life beat you up that, that you find yourself regularly frozen with fear? and unable to make decisions at life. And even today, you have decisions that are required of you, but you hesitate, you get worried, you work through all the scenarios in your head about everything that goes wrong, everything goes wrong, and it, it renders you frozen. Faith is confidence. And, but this story, this whole idea of fear holding us back and us being too conservative and too cautious and replacing our confidence with cautiousness. This story has played out over and over again. In fact, you see this story time and time again, not through only your life and my life and history, but all through scripture. In fact, one of the most prevalent stories that illustrates this happened with one of the most remarkable people in our New Testament. And the apostle Paul 
Um, he, if you're new to church, not familiar with kind of how we get our New Testament and Old Testament, the Apostle Paul was a church planner, saw the resurrected Jesus, it changed his life. Um, and he wrote all these letters to churches that were being planted up in the first century around the Mediterranean Rim. And so we've kept through the centuries, obviously in the millennia, the church has been able to keep these writings. And it's amazing, the whole collection of them now made up in New Testament. And um, uh, some of those letters were written to local churches and areas. Other of them were written to people he had a personal relationship. And one of the personal relationships he had was with a young man named Timothy. And Timothy is an amazing guy. Timothy, Paul found as a young man, he had a reputation. When Paul arrived in his town, they were like, who's got the best reputation? Everyone was like, Timothy has the best reputation. Um, he was gifted. He was talented. He was trustworthy. So Paul took him under his wing to mentor him in leadership and church ministry and church planning. Fast forward many, many years, eventually Paul was entrusting all of his ministry responsibilities to Timothy. In fact, Paul entrusted him with one of the largest, most significant churches that Paul planted, which was in Ephesus, which is in modern day Turkey. You can still visit the ruins now. They say at the time when Timothy, as a young man, was pastoring the church at Ephesus, it exceeded 35,000 people in the church. Not bad for 2,000 years ago, right? So Timothy, very gifted, very talented, was at the top of his game. But Paul's very last letter that we have recorded of him was written when he was in a prison in, uh, in Rome, waiting his execution under the dictatorship of Emperor Nero. Be familiar with him if you studied ancient history. And the last letter we have of him was written personally to Timothy. And Timothy was like a son in the faith to him. We literally were calling that, dear my son in the faith, my beloved son in the faith. And this is the last letter we have of Paul. It was written to Timothy, and here's how he opens his letter. He says, recalling your tears, writing this to Timothy, recalling your tears, I long to see you. And we don't know what had happened here to Timothy. We know who Timothy was. We know what responsibilities he had. But obviously something had taken place that had left him grieving, broken, perhaps heartbroken, Enough that Paul was so concerned about his emotional state and his well-being that even when he was facing his own death, he found the pen and the paper and he wrote a letter to encourage him. He said, recalling your tears. And maybe you're like that tonight. Maybe you're at the top of your game. Maybe you're like Timothy. You have a lot of things going for you, but you still experience life and opportunities that leave you broken and fearful and tearful. And in Timothy's situation like this, Paul right exactly to the situation he finds himself in. And as much as he recorded his tears, he did something more than that. And this is the very next sentence, what he says. He says, so that I may be filled with joy, I am reminded. I, I recall your tears, but I am reminded of something else about you, your sincere faith. I know that you're hurting and I know that you're broken and I know that you're experiencing pain, but that is not all there is to your story. And that is not all there is to your life. I'm reminded of something more than your tears. And that is your sincere faith. And it's worth us being reminded of this too. God totally understands where we are broken and when we are hurting and when we are discouraged and when we, like Timothy, can be found tearful and broken. But that's not the end of your story. There is more to your life than just your tears and just your brokenness. As much that it's part of your story, it's not your whole story. And Paul wrote here, and I think he'd write the same thing to us, to remind us of something more about us, that we have sincere faith. And remember, what is faith? Faith is confidence. As much as you're crying, as much as you're hurting, there's more to you than that. And this is so important for you to understand because 
there's often been this idea and we've got to crush this idea with everything inside of us. And maybe it's an idea that if you're new to church here and you're someone who's been a skeptic of faith, this could be one of these ideas that maybe you've held onto about the idea of Christianity or faith in general that's kind of kept you at an arm's distance from it. It's this idea that faith means ignoring reality, running from it, numbing the feelings that we have. But the truth is, Faith is the opposite of running from reality. Faith or sincere faith means confronting reality, staring it in the face, staring it down, not running from it, feeling every bit of it and knowing that your tears and your grief and your brokenness is not the end of your story, that there's more to your life. And so if you've ever thought that faith was somehow a way of numbing our feelings as an escape. It's not an escape. Faith has never been the coward's way out. Faith has always been the daring's way in. And if you ever stop and think that somehow the Jesus thing is my way out, it's kind of running away from life, running away from reality. It's not. Following Jesus is to confront reality with everything you got inside of you. As Teddy Roosevelt said, to be the man or woman in the arena. You might not be the best. You might be falling apart. You might be getting it all wrong, but you're the one who's in there giving it a shot. And you won't be counted with those who opt out, who are fearful and who sit on the sidelines because you're frozen with timidity. But you're the one who realizes my faith in God has led me to have confidence. I don't have this all figured out, but I am going to make the daring decision. And here's what's amazing about what happens next here, okay? Just when Paul, <laughs> Paul gets really, really risky here and he does something daring. He recognizes that Timothy's hurting, but then reminds him of his faith. And then, the, can we go to the next slide? What he says here is interesting. And don't go to the next one, just hold it here. He says, for this reason I, and he's about to give him advice. And the advice he's given him, he, he introduces a sentence by saying, for this reason. What reason? The fact that he has sincere faith. As if to say, I know, you got, I know you're hurting and I know you're broken. And if you didn't have sincere faith, what I'm about to say next might be very different. And the advice I give you if you didn't have faith in God might be very different from what I'm about to share. But for this reason, for the fact that you have sincere faith, what I'm about to say is gonna be risky and it's gonna be daring, but I've gotta say it anyway. And before we get to share what he says next to Timothy, it's worth noting that this flies in contrast of what our culture, our, our secular, our Australian, our Western culture usually encourages us to do when we are broken or when we are fearful, when we are grieving. The stats are out. The results are conclusive. That what you and I have the major propensity to do and we do more than anything else as human beings, let alone if you're a follower of Jesus here, is when we're hurting, when we're grieving, when we're in pain, the number one thing we as humans turn to is addictions. And it is a tragedy that we do that. And the reason we do that is because our brains are smart and you're smart. Because no one likes to feel pain and no one likes to feel grief. And your brain goes quickly, get rid of this feeling, find something that you know is gonna leave you feeling awesome. And your brain knows, your brain is wired well, the chemical reaction your brain knows well. It's why we easily turn to, to entertainment, television, to food, to pornography, to alcohol, to substance. Why do we do that? Not because we're wanting to ruin our lives, but because it feels incredible. Anything to numb the pain of what we're feeling. 
And our culture, that is what's encouraged. That's what's cultural. That's what's normal, right? And I'm not here to judge anyone, make anyone feel condemned about that. I'm just calling out the elephant in the room because this is our human experience. No one, ah, oh, I feel so great. I'm like, Timothy, I'm grieving. I just want to wallow in that. No one wants to do that. We want to get out of that. But Paul not only tapped on Timothy's heart, but I think he's tapping on ours too, going, I know you're grieving and I know you're hurting and I know it's painful, but there's also more to you. And inside of you is sincere faith. So here's my advice. And it's daring. And because you have sincere faith, for this reason, here's his advice. This is what he tells him to do. I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you. He goes straight for the heart of the matter. He said, inside of your life is the gift of God. And it could just be a spark right now. But Paul does the bold thing. And I want to do the bold thing for you and I tonight. Then maybe the gift of God in you, maybe that sense of believing in God and trusting God, maybe it's just a spark. Well, Paul's advice, I think, is so prevalent for us tonight that we would fan into flame the gift of God that is within us, to stir up the gift of God that is within us. Paul is saying, inside of your life, I know you're grieving and I know you're hurting, but there is something more inside of your life. And what I want you to do right now, Timothy, is to stir that spark of faith up inside of you. Don't let it sit dormant. Don't let it sit quiet. It might just be a spark, but you got to do whatever you got to do to fan that thing into flame. In other words, he's saying this. Can we go to the next slide? What we feed, you know the answer to this. What we feed... It grows. And why do you know that? Because you know that. You've learned in life that what you feed grows. What you starve dies. What you water grows. This is what Paul is saying to Timothy. You have the spark of something extraordinary in your life that your faith in God taps into. And when you go through those moments where fear has gripped you, where grief has got you, and you want to take the way out of it, he's saying, don't do it. Don't go that way. Do the opposite. Do the daring thing. Stir up the gift of God that is within you. Determine, I'm going to feed that thing that is going to cause me to grow, to get bigger, to trust God more. And I want to encourage you, okay, wherever you're at in your journey in faith, you've got to learn what it is in those moments where you want to turn the other way. Ask the question, how can I fan into flame the gift of God that's in me? Because it's in you and it might just be a spark. And I realize Maybe we've got to clarify for another generation what fan into flame means. You ever tried to like do a bushfire? Like a little, not a big, well, too soon, but like, like you're having a little campfire. I'm just sorry. A little campfire. And there's like a little spark there. And so you've got to like blow on it. And hopefully it catches on it, catches on it. And you've got to keep it. It's sensitive. It's delicate at times. And sometimes that can be our faith in God. It could just be small and delicate. And you've got to handle it lightly. You've got to throw a little bit of kindling on it, but not too much. That's why sometimes the full-on Christians can be too much at the, at the wrong time. Like, well, don't smother me. It just, just need a little bit. And then you start fanning it into flame and it takes off. And you're like, I need more, I need more. And someone's like, what's happened in their life? What's happened in her life? I've just been fanning into flame this gift inside of me that has sat dormant and just tiny spark. I've been fanning into flame. But I thought you were grieving. Yeah, I was. I thought things had gone wrong in your life. Yeah, I thought you were freaking out. I was. That's why I decided to fan something else into flame because I was tired of being scared. It's tired of not making daring decisions. And Paul concludes, and this is where I want to conclude tonight, with the most remarkable inside scoop about our relationship with God. He concludes by saying this, for the spirit God gave us, 
that thing that's inside of you that you've got to fan into flame, that you've got to stir up, that you've got to feed in water. The Spirit God gave us does not make us, say this word with me, does not make us timid. The Spirit God has put inside of you does not make you fearful or scared. And whenever you feel that way, you've got to know that does not come from your heavenly Father. And maybe that's what's brought you to church tonight. Maybe you're someone who's exploring faith because you are tired of being timid and scared with His good news for you. The Spirit God gives you through faith in His Son, Jesus, does not make you timid. It actually does the opposite. It gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Let's go to the first one. It gives us power. What does this mean? This is obviously written in Greek. This word power is translated dunamis, which means the ability of God that's beyond human ability. So literally, when you determine to fan into flame the gift of God within you, do whatever you got to do to spark that thing inside of your life, what God has given you is ability beyond your own. So every time, and this is so important to understand, every time you're faced with a decision to commit to something or to do something or be involved in something that's outside of your comfort zone, you've got to hear me about this. This is going to be so helpful to you. When you're faced with something that gives you butterflies because you're nervous and you're scared and you know it's outside of your comfort zone and you know it's outside of your experience, when you do it anyways, you are fanning into flame the gift of God because you have the seed of power inside of you, an ability that is beyond your own and your heavenly Father has given you an ability in your life that's beyond your own. Well, how do I do that? Fan it into flame. What does fanning into flame mean? Do it scared. Like I, I now, like of the past, I, I speak for a living, right? Like there's a big part of my life I publicly communicate. I still get utterly terrified so often communicating. I speak on a whole lot of different platforms around the place. I speak in audiences that aren't Christian, that don't even know who I am, that do not think I'm interesting or funny or anything like that, right? So I'm often backstage at a place and my stomach is in knots and I'm freaking out. You know how your mouth gets dry before like an oral at school? You're like, oh, like, and you get the sweat. I'm telling you, I still feel that. And every time I feel that, I know I'm exactly the place that God wants me to be. Because it's that moment that I get to fan into flame the gift of God that's in me and do it scared. You think I talk fast? You haven't heard nothing until you've heard me talk nervous. When I'm scared, I am faster than Usain Bolt, the 100 meter Olympics. I don't know, this just went to whatever came to my mind. But here's the thing. Whatever, whatever you're timid about or whatever you're fearful about, know that the spirit God has given you does not make you timid. It gives you power. So do it scared. It gives us power. It gives us love. And what does love mean? This is the word agape. It's a Greek term, agape, which means the love that God has for people and the love that His people are supposed to have for others. So meaning this, it is a love that is not human. It, it, is, it is experienced. It's experienced every time you choose to be patient with someone in your life that you'd rather be impatient with. This kind of love that it's talking about here is the kind of love that you experience when there's someone who you prefer not to be kind to because they've been cruel to you, but you be kind to them anyways. It is the love that your heavenly father has shown you and I and that we determined to show to other people. So every time you love someone like this, you are fanning into flame the gift of God that's in you. And maybe next time you are like scared about, I don't know if I want to forgive. I don't know if I can forgive this person. I don't know. And I'm fearful of it. I'm fearful what it's going to mean. Do it anyways. And every time you forgive someone, it's like that spark is getting a little bit brighter inside of your life and it grows and it grows and it grows, right? Next time you're hesitant to say sorry, do it even when you're scared. Say sorry, even if they don't forgive you. 
Forgive people even if they don't say sorry. Every time you do it, you are fanning into flame the gift of God that's in your life. Do it scared. Be bold. And lastly, not only does he give us power or love, he also gives us self-discipline. The spirit God has given you does not make you timid, but gives you love, power, and self-discipline. Do you know inside of you, there is an extremely self-disciplined person? It's in you. It's not for the gifted. Those people you see that are mega disciplined and extraordinary, it's not because they're more gifted than you. They just started fanning into flame. And you can do it too. Every time you hold your tongue from gossip or you hold your tongue from saying something cruel or you hold your tongue from biting at that person, you're fanning into flame. The gift of self-discipline in your life. Every time you choose to be generous when you'd prefer to be stingy, every time you give when you prefer to hoard, whatever it might be where you fear and not knowing what the outcome might be is holding you back. Every time you do it anyways, you are fanning into flame the gift of God. So here's my challenge and my prayer for us as we kick off this series. Every week over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at certain specific areas in our lives that we all have to face and confront and that often being timid or being fearful prevents us from making good, daring decisions. And we're going to address each one of them. And the whole reason we're doing this is because we want to take a few weeks together to fan into flame maybe that courage that has laid dormant for too long inside of your life. And I'm believing and I'm praying that over the next few weeks, you are going to find what it is to make the bold decision, the courageous decision, the confident decision, because faith is confidence and that you will no longer make the timid choice, but you will make the daring decision because the choice is in your hands. So my question to leave us with tonight is what is just one important decision, just one that you've been putting off because you're afraid of the outcome? Just one. And I wonder if this month, the thing you've been holding off and putting at bay, it's going to change because you are willing to do it scared. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being here tonight and speaking and encouraging and challenging. God, we are immensely grateful that you chose the daring way to love us as we are imperfect, fearful creatures. You love us. God, tonight I'm just conscious that there are people here this evening who, like Timothy, are grieving, maybe hurting, Maybe people around them don't even know because they seem like they're at the top of their game, but they're hurting. They're worried about the future. Wherever people are at tonight in their journey, I pray, Holy Spirit, you would begin to fan into flame the gift of God that's in all of us. To not be timid, to no longer be fearful, but to be bold and to be daring. I thank you, God, for your amazing love and encouragement over every person tonight. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you were encouraged by what you heard and inspired to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more details, check out suncoast.org.au. Hope you can join us again on the next podcast or here at Suncoast Church.